Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford. And I'm your other host, Matthew Rodriguez. And today we are joined by... Hi, I'm Zoraida Cordova. I'm uh, the author of the Labyrinth Law series and the Vicious Deeps trilogy. Nice. Um, and you are currently at a Comic-Con, right? I am at Salt Lake City Comic-Con, yes. Nice, nice. Uh, um, are you going to be at New York Comic-Con? I'm going to be at New York Comic-Con, but for Star Wars stuff. Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah. Ooh. I'm in a Star Wars anthology called From a Certain Point of View, and I have a short story on there, so it's really exciting. Cool. Are you allowed to tell us what it's about? Yeah, my story is about uh, two sisters who are bounty hunters. They're the Brea uh, Senitonica, and they, they appear in the cantina scene in A New Hope, for like 13 seconds. Oh, the, and the I, twins, right? That they look alike or whatever? Well, they're not twins anymore in the new canon. Okay. Uh, because the actresses look nothing alike. <laughs> and if you Google a photo of them, like the studio photo, like one of them has like serious camel toe from like their, le- their like latex one piece, like Britney Spears, <laughs> Oops, I again, LeMay, you know, body suits. <laughs> <laughs> But that's cool that you get to, like, be part of Star Wars canon. I... <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. I said Camel Toe way too early in the podcast. <laughs> Just wait till I start talking about who I want to sleep with in this episode, so it's fine. <laughs> as long as it's not Xander, it's fine. <laughs> God, no. <laughs> we are very yes. anti-Xander. Let... I, I was about to say, let the Xander hate start early. Oh god, I've been listening to you guys like I was I was listening to you this morning and I, everything you said about Xander I was like, "Yes." It was like church, you know, like <laughs> like in, like nodding your head and raising your hand and you're like, "Yes, Xander's terrible." And I don't even think we hate him as much as other people do. Cuz like someone was telling me that they wished he had died in the finale and I was like, "No, I don't know that I would love that be- only because Buffy and Willow would have been too sad." <laughs> Like, yeah. my attachment I mean, to him is through them, I feel like. Right. See, I I just wish that... I don't know. I, I have complicated feelings about him, because he's like the Ross of Buffy. Okay. You know? And, uh... Is that accurate, would, like, Matthew? <laughs> I didn't watch Friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't even think... I actually think Xander is the Chandler, because Chandler is also, uh-huh. like... Chandler's like super homophobic and transphobic and he's very he's obsessed with his with his masculinity in a way that Ross isn't that Xander is also he has that deep deep insecurity about his own masculinity his own masculinity yeah and but but like he's also like Ross was the kind of guy who who like he would be your friend despite the fact that he couldn't have sex with you <laughs> but he would keep trying <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> also, you two just describing Ross and Chandler, I'm like, wow, I really didn't watch that show because I think I've always melded them into the same character in my head. Yeah, like, I've definitely all... seen episodes, but I've never, like, watched it, watched it. <laughs> no, they're very different. They are very different. Yeah. Okay, so, Zoraida, since you're a new guest, we always have a new guest tell us their Buffy origin story. So tell us yours. So my Buffy origin is... I watched it very early on. I never caught it from season one. I think I caught it by season two-ish. And by then, the like, what my I wasn't really allowed to watch Buffy because like it was it, it was more adult for me. It might have been it might have been eleven. Um, and so the episode that my mom decided to walk in on was the episode when Buffy and Angel first have sex. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's so. so so, so she was like, "What are you watching?" Um, and and but but you know, I never stopped watching it. And then I and then I went back and saw the original film uh, mm. with like without Sarah Michelle Gellar. The, um, was it Matthew Perry who's in it? Um, yeah, right. Yeah, that's Luke, no, Luke Perry. Matthew Luke Perry, Perry is Chandler. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. Yeah, Matthew Perry is Chandler. Luke Perry is in the original. Right, right, right. You're, you're right. You're hundred percent right. Um, so yeah. So I remember watch going back and watching that, 
and then watching season one, just like comparing the way the Buffy's were. So yeah, it's, I feel like Buffy, for my writing, Buffy has always been really formative. Um, and funny enough, like I used to think Joss Whedon was a woman. And when I found out that he wasn't, I was really disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> my mom, who's the one that got me into Buffy, would always be like, that Josh Whedon writes women that we like. <laughs> 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 we uh, we, ha- we did a Mother's Day episode that's just me and my mom talking about it, and my mom literally kept saying Josh Whedon. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I was like, Mom, no, it's Josh. <laughs> <laughs> um, my mom called her La Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> that makes me so happy because that's what my grandma Ponchi she'd be like you and your mother love La Buffy and like that's always what she would say <laughs> La Buffy okay, she's like her own patron saint <laughs> she should have her own Loteria card <laughs> oh my god she should oh my god also this is like what our third all Latinx podcast for this I podcast so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I forget which one I know there was the first one with David, but who was the other one? Maybe it was I don't just know. maybe it was just the one with David. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, we always feel like I feel like Buffy does have like a pretty big Latin X like following. I don't really w- I couldn't tell you the correlation. It has a following but... among everyone. True. Okay. Fair. Fair. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, because my mom and my cousin Louisa both were into it before I was. But All then, my little I think cousins. it's because. Yeah. Sorry. Say it again. I said all my little cousins are starting to get into Buffy and they're 13 to 18 respectively. But so like the cousins that when I was, when I was 16 and watching Buffy and I was introducing my, like my 10 year old cousins to Buffy. So like now they're introducing their little brother. So it's, it's like, it's like a multi-generational thing. I love that. Uh, Yeah, it's great. And I think that like, even though it was the nineties, like most of their questions are like, what are they wearing? You know, they're not like, oh, <laughs> there's this like inconsistent weird demon. Uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, some of the outfits are, especially early on, you know, really silly. <laughs> <laughs> I I think, and uh, I don't know if Ian would agree, but he knows where I'm coming from because his mom said the same thing. I think that Buffy's latinx following comes uh from the fact that charisma carpenter looks like she's family (laughs) she absolutely 100 percent does but don't you also think that faith has that like like she had like the dark the dark lipstick like the lip liner a little darker than the rest of her lipstick and the dark hair and i feel like faith like i can cosplay faith but I could never cosplay Buffy. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, I would totally buy that. I think my mm-hmm. mom has said to me, oh, they're both beautiful. They must be Puerto Rican. To me, like, so many times when we would watch the show. <laughs> 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 and when I had my it- mom on, so I think Charisma Carpenter recently said she, I think she's, like, Spanish from Spain. Mm-hmm. And my okay. mom was like, well, that makes sense. <laughs> Right, because in Hollywood, you hide that until yeah. they find out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're here to talk about The Wish, a really big episode. Um, yeah, and it introduces, I don't know how you guys feel. Oh, well, I know how Matthew feels. It introduces one of my all-time favorite characters, Anya. Anya. Um, yeah. And yeah, it brings back the master which is a big deal um and what it's the second time we see buffy die on screen yeah right right yeah yes it is so um this episode I, like funnily enough that you bring up anya i was on a supernatural panel today mm-hmm. and somebody said i have a theory and then she immediately followed that by saying it must be bunnies <laughs> and i had the urge to sing (laughs) um i have to say we so we had a um a buffy panel at flamecon and like everyone kept talking about anya i was like i'm glad that everyone pretty much loves her like i mean what's not to Mm -hmm. love but um yeah you know 
what her tragic ending oh, that's that's what i don't love yeah Ugh, my love that i like a friend of my uh one of our podcast guests adam sass who's been on twice he was like you know i've been really upset about the ending of twin peaks and i feel dumb because i know it's just a tv show but i love it so much and i was like adam i literally think i still teared up like a week after the finale because i was so upset about anya so i totally understand <laughs> like i remember one of my friends calling me and her being like it was like after it aired and she was like are you upset and i was like crying and she was like you are acting like someone died and i was like but someone did like <laughs> yeah no i i really love the way that i really love the introduction of anya as this demon and i love like her entire journey like her becoming human everything everything is fantastic and like she got she got xander and and he didn't deserve her no and that just really frustrates me um but the like this is this is an episode where I really love when TV shows do episodes that um, transport their their entire um, their entire characters into who they could be in another realm, um, and this is like Bizarro Land Buffy, right? And yeah. I think that that it's really it's really dynamic. Yeah, I. I just almost said thank you. Um, yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> it's like that that gif, or no, not a gif. It's like that vine where um, Whoopi Goldberg tells Beyonce, "You are Beyonce," and she says, "Thank you." That's what you just did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so the episode, and Matthew, do you remember in trivia the like hard round that I did where it was like name the outfit, like who wore the outfit and what episode? Yes. I used Cordelia's outfit from the beginning, from the post-credits scene in this episode. Her, like, red leather fancy outfit. Um, And I always, like, think that outfit's pretty iconic. But also, so, I like that this episode starts kind of, in my head, Cordelia was, like, gone for an episode. But she's not. Like, I thought, like, after Lover's Walk, she kind of was, like, I don't know, not in it. The way Anya's not in it after Hell's Bells for an episode. But, like, they get right into, like, she's burning pictures of Xander. Um, yeah, and I feel bad for her, because it's like, I don't know, Cordelia doesn't deserve that shit. And she had a fucking bar stabbed through her side or her stomach. Um, which one of, yeah. our, one of our listeners, Colin, told me that um, apparently Charisma Carpenter, like, did get stabbed on a bar as a child. So there's, like, a scar there, and... Like, in Angel, when she's, like, in a bikini, you can see the scar, I guess. And it's real. Because she did get stabbed with a whatever bar as a kid by accident. Holy shit, that's amazing. Right? Yeah, so I thought that the um, opening was really strange. So it opens with them, like, battling this demon in broad daylight. And the demon is, like, really gross. And it's broad daylight, so it's not a normal vampire. And... (laughs) They just kind of kill it with a knife and then just go about their business talking about their recent breakups and yeah. don't do discuss the demon again. And it's very <laughs> odd. Um, when I started it on Hulu, I actually thought I started the wrong episode. I didn't remember that being the opening. In my head, the Cordelia scene was the opening of her getting out of the car. But yeah. I thought I turned on Earshot by accident because it, I thought it was the demon that like gives her the mind-reading powers. They're, like, vaguely similar, but those ones don't have the tentacles. But I really thought I was like, oh, I turned on the wrong episode. This is Earshot. And then I was like, oh, wait, no, it's not. So, yeah, that is weird. Yeah. Because, like, also you have, like, two episodes in the same season that start very, very similar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And this one's so removed Um, from the plot. That's the thing, is that it, like, the Buffy opening scenes usually are kind of removed from the plot. But I also feel like there's no, there was no need for the demon slaying. Like they could have just been having a picnic in the park, talking, and I don't understand the whole necessity for like slaying that demon. Yeah, it was weird. Um, I mean, I do appreciate any moment where they're all just kind of standing around miserable in a jokey way, not in a season six way. <laughs> then it's relentless. Um, but I don't know. I like them just being like, "Well, I've called Cordelia," but also like Xander, leave her alone, like. Stop calling her so much, right? Right. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah, like, you um, 
cheated on her. You don't call her. And she got stabbed <laughs> running away from, like that. Let her like be, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. if anything, like it would make more sense for like Willow or like Buffy to try to keep calling her. But like, go away, Xander. Stop doing that. <laughs> yeah, but also I don't. I I always felt like Buffy and Willow. Buffy and Willow never like Cordelia, and I I don't. Even when they had these moments of like, okay, we understand you, but they never, like, they, I don't think that they they ever got past like the the mean girl phase. Like to each other. To each other, yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I feel like because Cordelia does develop, but like I would buy that because mm-hmm. yeah. they they kind of are the same way with Anya, where they don't ever really like her. Very true. Yeah, I I, I mean that's the thing is it. Go ahead. I was gonna say, like, do you think it's because like they're so used to being wanted by Xander on different levels that like if Xander has like another person, he takes away this attention from them? Hmm, maybe I could see that because like I've definitely like in my life gotten jealous of friends, like you know, even like a you know a straight woman like being like, oh, I'm like I feel jealous because you know now I don't get. Mm-hmm all the, like, attention from them. So, like, I could see that being a thing because they're not really interested in him, but they are used to his attention. Right. Yeah. And they're teenagers, so. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, like, I feel like Giles is the dad and Xander is, like, I don't know, because, like, Willow and Buffy are clearly the best friends and Xander's, like, the other best friend? Like, I don't know. Like, him and Willow were friends first, but he's still, like, the other best friend, right? Like, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there is a definitely like a difference in dynamic, and and I don't know if it has to do with just like the nature of male female straight relationships. I mean, Willow ends up not being straight, and obviously, but like you know, they have like a larger history. But it is funny to the extent to which throughout this series, and I know we're getting a little far afield of, of what we're here to talk about, but it is funny throughout the series how much Willow becomes a best friend to Buffy and needs that because she literally has like a decade of history with Xander. Yeah. But the show very quickly makes sure that like Buffy and Willow become BFFs. Right. And I mean, it doesn't ever feel for like, I think it works. It doesn't ever feel forced. Like it makes sense. Mostly because Xander's also kind of a dick. Like Xander's the worst. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, so after the initially uh, the initial opening scene, we do get the scene, which is very high school, of Cordelia burning the pictures with Xander. Yes. Um, and yeah. the abnormally large flame that comes out <laughs> of burning that one picture, that like bonfire-sized flame that is casually on her bed, like as <laughs> if it could not burn down her entire home. Yeah. I feel like smoke um, would have popped up, like. <laughs> yeah, it was a smokeless, enormous flame that set off no fire alarms or, or smoke alarms or smoke detectors or anything. Um, but I did like that scene because it was one of those scenes that felt very, that reminded us that we were in high school, like that we're dealing with like yeah. life and death stuff, but that like, you know, Cordelia is not above like burning up some pictures. But I think it's also supposed to like, I don't know, I think it's supposed to look look magical like it, it's supposed to look like she's doing a spell or something like I don't know exactly how to put it but I always feel like I don't know doing that summoned Anyanka or something like she felt Cordelia's pain yeah oh. I, don't, I don't know what it is because I mean it looks like magic like it looks like you know she's putting the picture in a bowl she's lighting it on, on fire she's not saying anything but it's so I always felt like the reason I think that's the scene that happens right before the credits. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like that's supposed to I feel like it's like signaling that Anya was brought there because of Cordelia's like intense pain. Oh totally. I think it definitely feels like a summoning. Um and all of my books are about magic and witches and actually I write about brujas, which is obviously the Spanish word for witch. And so like fire and magic and burning stuff is like very symbolic so when you look at when I was re-watching that scene I felt like she's it's kind of like she's casting a spell but like maybe if she hadn't had been around the Scoobies she 
wouldn't have known to do that. So it's something that even though like if Buffy had never come to Sunnydale, she she wouldn't have been burning this bowl. She would have like also she wouldn't have ever dated Xander, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's the interesting thing about this whole episode, right? Is like, she's asking, like, what, you know, I wish Buffy had never come to Sunnydale. Like, you know, I never would have been put in this position, blah, blah, blah. And this episode is really about the way, or one of, it's not about this, but I think what's interesting is, like, the way that Buffy brought all these kind of disparate groups together, or just like, you know, you see Buffy as the linchpin on on which everything that happens in Sunnydale un, unfolds, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's super interesting. Um, like, on, on, on a macro level, it's about, like, the master would have risen, but on a smaller level, it's like, Willow and Xander would still be alive, and, like, Cordelia would, you know, just so much happens. So mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, it's also so... A thing that always, like, lingers for this episode is, it's so grim in Sunnydale without Buffy. Does that mean there is, like, another town in Buffy's, like, universe that does have that going on? Because we know there are other Hellmouths. Uh, yeah, Cleveland. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, so does that mean Cleveland is, like, doing what Sunnydale's doing in this, like, alt-universe? Like, right? I, I guess, you know, I never thought about that. I always, because I, I remember, like, watching the show thinking, oh, it's because this is the only Hellmouth. But then they say in Cleveland there's another Hellmouth. And mm-hmm. and that's, like, a... I don't know if either of you... I don't think you did, Matthew. They're, they put out, like, a... I think it was supposed to be canon, but it's not. A Buffy book called Queen of the Slayers after season seven. It might have been after Angel ended. And it was actually, like, pretty freaking good. Um, and, like, pretty accurate. And, in, like, the subplot is that Faith and Kennedy go with some other Slayers to Cleveland, and it's, like, a war zone. Um, and so I always wonder, like, why didn't they, like, to do something about that, right? Like... Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, I mean, there are now, at this point in the game, two Slayers, and they don't, you know, they're both in Sunnydale. It would be interesting if they did, you know, we're like, maybe we shouldn't have them all in one place. Maybe there is room to bring one of them elsewhere. Um... But anyway, sorry, on to, on to the next thing. So we get um, so we get the first scene, the introduction to Anya. Um, I mean, we have a little scene with Buffy and Willow where they're kind of talking about Cordelia coming back to school. And Willow says, you know, that Harmony saw, or someone saw her at the mall and that she just looks scary. And then she comes in in that like amazing outfit um, that kind of like red leather outfit and um, she immediately kind of meets up with Harmony in the gang she meets Anya who's wearing a sweater over her shoulders which always makes me mad yeah it's very it's very like early ni- like late 90s early 2000s it's like I can't even deal with that outfit that, that Anya upsets is wearing. <laughs> it's honestly it's, so upsetting like it's inhuman so like I feel like we should forgive her. <laughs> well, I think she's—I think she's mimicking or like trying to like look like what she thinks a a a, a friend of Cordelia would look like. Yeah. So right. she's kind of looking at Harmony and her friends and being like, "Oh, this is, I guess, what I have to wear yeah. to like get in with them." So it is kind of a parody or a comment. It's almost like she's Clark. Uh, Clark Kent? What, why am I saying that wrong? What? <laughs> right? Isn't that Superman's alter ego? Yeah. 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 I felt like in my head I was saying it wrong. Like, so she's dressing up as human even though she's not. So she's, like, doing that thing where she's, like, it's like a comment on what she thinks people would wear. But I hate that outfit so much. <laughs> um, but, yeah. So then, uh, so after she, and then they do the, the cruel joke where they pretend to set her up with Jonathan. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, so, Jonathan, like, this is why he tries to sh- shoot himself. Yeah, like, <laughs> also, it almost feels... I know, it is all... If you, 
What? Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, say if you do an, if you do an edit of this season of just how they treat Jonathan, you're <laughs> you're like, yes, this makes sense. Like they bring him in once every three episodes to literally just make fun of him. <laughs> that's yeah. Funny. Although, isn't it funny that like Danny Strong, and that's the name of the the actor, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that in the like a future episode where he, you know, has his own wish. Um, he wins, like, awards, but then, like, in real life, he won in, like, an Academy Award. <laughs> <laughs> I know, isn't it yeah, crazy he, like, that he's, like, the most successful Buffy alum? Other than Allison Hannigan, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and also, so, I always think it feel almost feels unharmony-like that Harmony takes the lead, because it feels like Harmony doesn't know how to take the lead, and, like, that's a big point of, like, season, the beginning of season five. Like, she doesn't know how to have her own gang. Um, and I don't know. I feel like she would have jumped at just, like, going back to being, like, Cordelia's sidekick rather than me. I don't know. I always think about that. Also, one of the Cordettes in this episode is in Can't Hardly Wait. Um, fun fact. <laughs> is who? She's in Can't Hardly Wait. So is, like, uh, okay. half of the cast of Buffy, but she's, like... I want to say... I forget. Now I don't remember. But she's the one that the Master puts in the machine. She's has some lines in Can't Hardly Wait. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so after the uh, the moment, we also have that really tense exchange between Oz and Willow. Yes. And he's right. And Yeah, he actually is very right. Well, I mean, it's true in general that, like, a lot of times when someone is in the wrong and they want to be the one to talk, it's not always to alleviate someone else's pain, which is what Willow is trying to make it. It's really to like alleviate their own pain in like a selfish way. Like I want to talk this out because I want to feel better. And you know, he, she's not giving Oz space. To be fair, I probably do that. Like I'm always like, no, I want to talk about it. So, you know, I, I don't know. I think that like Seth Green's portrayal of Oz is is super perfect because he already kind of looks a little wolfish, yeah. you know. Um, he's like a baby wolf, um, and and so like him, I never really, I didn't a hundred percent ship him and Willow um, later on, like when he came back. Mm-hmm. But in this moment, I feel like. This is the first time when I, like, I cringed at sort of, like, Willow's behavior. Yeah. Uh, but then I, I feel like I would have also been her. I would have, like, tried to get somebody to talk to me. Like, talk to me so I can feel better about what I did. Yes. Yes. I mean, I think Seth Green's portrayal is, like, it's weird because, like, for my favorite show, I often, like, forget about Oz. Like, because Tara and Willow are, like, the big relationship. Sure. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um... But he is really, like, his portrayal of Oz is, like, pretty great, I think. Um, And, like, little moments like that. And, you know, in season four, before he leaves, he gets, like, you know, that episode where he patrols with Buffy and she is complaining about her roommate. Like, I think Seth Green's actually, like, pretty good on the show. Mm -hmm. And, like, also, he's, like, such the ultimate 90s babe on the show. Like, (laughs) white collar. You are wrong. Rude. <laughs> Ian, you call everyone the quintessential 90s babe. First no. of all, Seth Green is 4 foot 11. I don't I don't care about height. Dude, he's a baby wolf. <laughs> like I don't care about height, but he's not no one would cast Seth Green as the quintessential 90s babe. Are you silly? Okay. Wait, he, he's the slacker babe. He's like yes. the guy in a band. He's all but he's always that guy. He's like the skater guy. Yeah. Like which is weird because I don't feel like he's like that in real life. Like, he just seems, like, kind of nerdy and, like, I don't know. I follow him on Instagram and he's, like, you know, has, like, fun doing nerdy things with his wife. Um, but, yeah, no, that's how I, like, I look at it from, like, my viewpoint of someone who went to Warp Tour all the time. And, like, for me, he was, like, <laughs> <laughs> as, like, the shitty teen, he would, like, look like and a And I'm not saying, and I'm all, I just want to clarify for all of our listeners, I'm not saying that people who are 4'11 cannot be attractive. I am saying <laughs> that I do not think that any television executive would look at Seth Green and say that he's the quintessential quintessential nineties okay. babe. Fair. He's, he's very no, but he is a quintessential epic in that decade 
because of just his out, like just the way he looks. Like there's somebody out there who's like, that's my type. Me, hello, me. Well, I'm saying that. Yeah, it's Ian. Yeah, it's Ian. <laughs> it's like guys I go for normally. It's like they look like they were in a pop punk band, or they could have been, or they at least would have been at Warp Tour. Like still in 2017 at 34, that's still my type. <laughs> Basically, like how Tom DeLonge and Mark Hoppus never really grew up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but didn't like one of them go crazy, like and. Maybe a Trump supporter, maybe not. I maybe I'm making that up. I, <laughs> no. I get, I get, I get them all. I get like my like. Some of them have like done really well, and some of them have not done so well. <laughs> I really like, hope that Twenty Two is not this case. I know that Tom DeLonge went off to like write about aliens, but you know, you know what? That's that's what I'm thinking of. I think he like became like a maybe an alien conspiracy theory person. Yeah, one of my friends writes books with him. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's like, it's all about like Area 51 and all this stuff. Yeah, so it's very. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just did the watcher thing and looked it up. Yeah, that's. No, no yeah. Trump supporter, luckily. Just, that's what I was thinking of. <laughs> just aliens, no yeah. Trump. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> we can deal with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's terrible. But Buffy and Oz, um, you know what is funny? In this episode, I, because you guys were talking about Faith the last episode a lot. And then, and I was like, in this alternate universe, faith doesn't exist. And I, and that is another episode where just faith is just gone. Yeah. Well, they, they say early in, so in the moment when they are fighting the demon in the very beginning, they ask, like, Willow asks Buffy, like, have you heard from faith? And she says, like, no, that she's been trying to reach out and faith hasn't gotten back to her. So as I will say every episode, I will just think it's for budgetary reasons. They didn't want to pay Eliza Dushku for this episode. The $12 they could probably afford to pay her at the time. Well, just she but blew- they were cutting she- costs that day. She blew up pretty fast, didn't she? Like, fame-wise? Well, I mean, this is still, this is the 98-99 season. So right now we're still in like fall '98. So Bring It On has not come out yet. Oh, Bring right. It On it's like 2000. So okay. I feel like it was actually Buffy that catapulted her to get all those later roles because then you have Bring It On, and then you have like you know smaller roles that are still roles. Like you know she was on the hit Fox series True Calling. Oh my God, that show. <laughs> 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 in which she solves the crimes of dead, or like solves dead people's crimes or something. God. I don't know. I wanted to like that show so much, but she was like hilariously miscast. As as I'll She's quote not you, hilariously cast. What? And her 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 outfit from the trailers for that show is iconic. Like, <laughs> it's like this denim outfit, and she has her messenger bag, and she's running. Oh my god! I'm gonna look it up after this podcast and watch the trailer <laughs> for True Calling. It was iconic. My my best friend owns Dollhouse. She owns the entire season of Dollhouse. <laughs> oh, Matt, me too. Matt Dollhouse is also loves... iconic, and I love it. Ugh, I, God. I keep, I keep like, saying to Ian, like, after, after Buffy, we're going to do... This is going to become an Angel podcast, and then... Because I'm going to appease him and do Angel, we're going to become a dollhouse podcast. <laughs> oh my god, yes. I totally appreciate this. Uh, Eliza Dushko is actually at this Comic-Con, so I <gasps> have to find her role so I can be like, Hi, I want to cosplay fake all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, she... So I have, like, you know, my dumb 90s hair. She complimented my hair when I met her at New York Comic-Con once, and I literally, like... I act, reacted the way, like, a straight man would if she was hitting on them. Like, I was, like, fumbling on my words because she was, like, so gorgeous. And she was like, your hair is so cute. And I was like, oh, my God, ha, 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 like, giggling and, like, freaking out as if, like, I don't know what. <laughs> so I have I have a Buffy tattoo, but it's actually a Faith tattoo because I have 5x5 tattooed on, the, like, the inside of my, like, on my wrist. Oh, my God, I love that. Uh, and um, my friend sent it to one of, like, the Buffy wrote, Jose Molina. Mm. And he was like, cool ink. And I was like, you wrote for Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> um, yeah. Buffy forever. Yeah. I, I knew T.S. had mentioned to me that you guys, like, became friends bonding over Buffy. And I didn't realize yes. my – I plan on getting a Buffy tattoo, but I don't have one yet. But, yeah, I, like, want to get it. 
there are some really cool ones, some really complicated ones. I can send you some of the ones that I found. Oh, great. But, like, yeah, it's – my friend had an angel tattoo because his name started with an A. Um, <laughs> so he got the – he got the, the angel one on oh, his on the shoulder. I like that. Because yeah. imagine getting that angel tattoo and if your name doesn't start with an A. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um. Before Matthew so, yells, yes, I was gonna say Matthew's gonna tell us to get back to the episode. Um, so Anya, so Anya, you know, does the thing, grants the wish, and I actually really like Cordelia. Like, doesn't get upset about it. She's like, what does she say? Like, she was like a good demon, or like a good fairy. Um, yeah. And I love that. That's like Cordelia's not like, holy shit, this was a demon. She's just like, oh, it worked, great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I feel like at that moment, she's been having such a terrible few days that she feels like everything's coming up Cordelia for a moment. <laughs> like, she's, like, you know, she's really feeling herself, and she's like, I look great, and now a good fairy has come here. Which, like, I don't know why a good fairy would look the way Anya looks when yeah. her face changes. Like, I feel like that should be a major indication that she's not a good fairy. Um, but, uh yeah. Um, yeah, but then she, I remember when I watched the episode being, like, really upset that she died. And I almost wish that, because it, the, you know, the first, like, 20 minutes are, or the first half hour is a Cordelia episode. Um, and then she dies, and then it's not a Cordelia episode, which is weird, right? Like, I almost wish we had seen her, like, traversing this alt-universe through the whole episode. And, like, somehow she got to be the hero. I had a memory of this episode before I rewatched it because I've I've rewatched the episodes, like it's just, it's like my comfort. Star Wars and Buffy and Harry Potter are my comfort things, right? So like, have a bad day, watch this thing, and so like, my memory of this episode years ago was that Cordelia destroys the jewel, and so then I rewatched it and I was like, oh, Cordelia actually dies. Yeah, and this is, and I was like, what the. Like, Joss, what is wrong with you? Like, <laughs> it's, that's, and that became really upsetting in hindsight of, like, of this, of this, of the whole wish, because this world was created by Cordelia, and she doesn't survive it, but she survives so much of the other world. Yeah, right? Like, and she has all the memories, so it feels like, yeah, it feels weird that she, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I I think that is an interesting kind of wrinkle on this episode is that it does seem like almost like a Zeppo for Cordelia, like or just you know it's like one of those one offs where one character kind of takes center stage. But um, I don't know, like what is what is behind that decision to then kill her? Like we 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 talk so much on this podcast about how Cordelia is the smart one and understands like the rules of kind of the world and of high school and all this stuff but when Buffy is gone she actually is very lost I mean when she comes when she when it first changes over you see her you know she's wearing that really loudly colored outfit and everyone's like why are you wearing this bite me outfit and I kind of feel like there's a sense that like Cordelia was only great because Buffy was there also. I don't know, like, she still ruled the school in a way, but there's also a sense that, like, Buffy needed... I mean, Cordelia needed Buffy to survive, not just physically, but, like, she got a larger purpose, right? I mean, we talk about this all the time. Yeah, true. That Cordelia is someone who consistently chooses to do good, even though she's not totally friends with the Scoobies. And then, like, in this world where Buffy's not there she immediately dies and like, you know, Willow and Xander are still together anyway and like making googly eyes at each other and like, well, more, more than that, like just like actually being together. Also, so, I love Xander? Cordelia's, like her, they're like, her comic timing of like, you're still together, I can't win. As if like, that's the worst thing about this universe is that Willow and Xander are hooking up. Right. Well, yeah, because the whole, because she, she doesn't, you know, when you break up with somebody or somebody breaks up with you, you're like, God, I wish they'd never been born. Like, Boy, I wish are you? <laughs> never been born. 
she should have wished Xander had never been born, but like instead she wished that Buffy had never come to Sunnydale. Yeah. And so specific. Um, because they do like the entire time they juxtapose each other because Cordelia was what Buffy was before she came to Sunnydale. Yeah. Well, I'm really interested, you know, you write a lot about magic, Zaraida, and I'm really interested I, I, one of the things I wanted to talk about on this podcast is world building and what we think about the fact that like Anya's wish so drastically changes the world when we know that there are other instances of people just wishing something like, Oh, you know, I wish my husband had boiling pestles all over his back and that doesn't necessarily change the world. It just gives that person an illness or something or wishing, I mean, you know, it would change the world if Xander had not been born too, but perhaps not as drastically. And I always felt like her wish, Cordelia's wish having such far reaching consequences and changing the entire makeup of the, of the, of the town is a moment where the show is, I don't know. It's kind of saying that, you know, Anya's powers are much more far-reaching than we ever see them again. I mean, we don't ever see her changing something that drastically again. Do you get, kind of know what I'm getting at? I feel like the the, the, yeah. the show I, the show is doing something with its world building that it never really does again, and I feel like it's kind of odd. And because we see other vengeance scenes, like Helfrecht traps them in the house. That doesn't change the whole universe. And no. like, right. Anya kills okay. the frat boys, and that doesn't change the whole universe. And in that like, sense, we have to admit that, like, I don't know, that the world is malleable. Like, our, is, in, according to Joss's world, then, if Vengeance Demons were to make these far-reaching kind of decisions, the world is malleable, and, like, every few days, our perception of it could be totally different. Right. I wonder if it's... Um, so there's, there's an incredible power to wishes and a lot of magic, and I feel like wishes that have that kind of gravitas... Um, to change so much, um, they are said all the time. You know, like, I wish this person were never born. I wish, like, I'd never met so-and-so because they ruined my heart or whatever. And so the nature of the vengeance demons isn't really consistent um, because we see some of Anya's other wish fulfillments, right? Like, she kills those frat boys um, she killed a bunch of people in, like, another country in one of those, like, past, past live, past, um, those, like, flashbacks that we see of her. Yeah. Uh, and I, like, I do think that this is where the show is a little bit inconsistent, but at the same time, maybe, like, it's, it's kind of, like, a moral to show how, how important Buffy is again, you know, and I think that it, it, like, it's not it's not about Cordelia anymore. It's about how Buffy is important to the universe and because she like how how chosen she is no matter what time frame or whatever real whatever realm we're in. Well, yeah. I, I actually, you know, there's there's a lot there's been a lot written about Buffy and morality and whether the show is amoral or super moral as we know when it comes to issues of like sex and drinking the show can all of a sudden get super moral um and this episode's morality is kind of all over the place because we do get a sense of like appreciating people even when we think that they're obstacles in our lives like with cordelia and buffy and ultimately we actually never figure out if cordelia has learned a lesson from this because she dies like when the world comes back um no one is cognizant that the world was different, so yes. we don't really actually get any sense that Cordelia has learned a lesson about <laughs> wishing or anything. It's kind of like the viewer has learned a lesson, and it's a very interesting writing choice. And by interesting, I just mean interesting. I don't think that it's good or great. I don't know. It's like the characters actually don't progress. It's the viewer <laughs> who walks away saying like, oh, this is what the world could have been if this wish had been fulfilled. And it reminds me a lot. I mean, there are, you were talking about wishing Zoraida and obviously it's the name of the episode, but like there's a lot of literature and movies about like the power of wishes. So it reminds me of if anyone has read the classic novel, um, the Goosebumps series, <laughs> be careful what you wish for. R.L. Um, he's a bro. <laughs> R.L. Signs a what? 
He's like he's like our bro. Like he's like. <laughs> oh, I thought you were saying he was like a bro. Like I thought you were about to be like he was like make America great again or something. <laughs> oh God, no! Arlstein is a gem. He's oh, okay. like when he talks. Like he's just like he's like he's like my bro. Like I love him. You know. Um, okay. He that the the exact things that you're talking about. Like you know those like those goosebump books like, are perfection and <laughs> and so cl- so closely tied for me with Buffy so I just got really excited that you mentioned them well I mean be careful what you I mean a lot of the Goosebumps books are morality tales right and be careful what you wish for is that kind of morality tale about the power of wishing that your life were different and how things could drastically change and to bring in even even a third text if you will into this discussion, I'm thinking of the movie Bedazzled with Brendan Fraser. <laughs> I've never Elizabeth seen that Hurley. movie. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's actually a really bad but good movie about, like, so basically Brendan Fraser, like, is unhappy with his life and he's kind of a loser and Elizabeth Hurley plays the devil and he uh, is able to make, like, seven wishes with her but she takes his wishes and kind of screws with them so that they're all kind of messed up. So he wishes to have a lot of power, you know, because he's powerless at his job. Mm. So she makes like a Colombian drug lord. And like, so that obviously has all of its own issues. And then like, she wishes, he wishes to be like really good at sports, but he, so she makes him like this amazing basketball player, but who has like a, a, a spectacularly tiny penis. Um, oh my God. So there's all this, so there's all this stuff in it about like wishing and like the dark side of wishing. So at the end of the day, is I, I, what I'm saying is I think that when you get into texts about wishing, they are often morality morality tales. But this one is very interesting because the characters don't really learn anything. We, the viewer, are the only ones who know that this alternate world was possible. And then actually, the only other person might be Anya because she's yeah. trying. Because you see in later episodes she tries to kind of, in Doppelgangland, she tries to get back to that world or at least get her powers back. I think it's interesting how much Anya is jealous of Buffy. And and I get it because Xander always prioritizes his friends over, over her when they're in their relationship. But she's, she is the only person with this memory and she never really brings it up. Like yeah. when people, well, when they, they all like, like if whenever they're all mad at Buffy for whatever she did, cause like they, they have all these disagreements every now and then, but she never goes like, well, if Buffy weren't here, I remember this one time. That's true. So, like you'd all be dead. That's what would happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd be such a shit and bring that up all the fucking time. Wouldn't I, Matthew? I'd be so annoying about that. <laughs> but wait, does Buffy have that memory? No, only Anya no. does. Oh, oh, right, right, right. That, like, oh, you're saying Anya has it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, Anya would be like, if it weren't for me or something, I don't know. Oh, Um, no, yeah, no. Ian, you would be super annoying. (laughs) Um, Like, honestly, I'd put out a Craigslist ad for some vampire to come bite me. (laughs) Get me away from them. Um, So, I hate to quote, like, this, but it almost is like a Family Guy ending, where they're like, Wow, wow, No, because, like, wow. there's, like, a couple episodes. I can't cite a specific one. I'll watch it when it's on Adult Swim. I know that it's terrible. Um, I like a cartoon oh, as a background. He watches it on Netflix every night when he goes to bed. <laughs> no. That's what that's called for. It's 30 Rock, although I don't know what I'm going to do because they're taking that off. Um, but, like, there's a couple episodes where at the end, it's just, like, the plot ends, and they're, like, doing a wrap-up, and they'll make a joke, like, what was the lesson we learned here? Eh, no one really cares. And that's like a thing they do at the end of a few episodes. And I feel like that's kind of the theme of this episode. Like, what did we learn from this? <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny because the the closing shot is really this like cheesy kind of 90s ending where it's like there's generic guitar music and like it's just Willow, Buffy, and Xander laughing and being friends. Yeah. Um, and like that's just the wrap up. <laughs> um, but we did we did kind of gloss over a, a lot of the episode, and I do want to get back to kind of seeing the master again and seeing his big master plan um, of like basically kidnapping people and having them like having blood mass produced by this scary machine. I do love that they bring the master back. That is a thing that I do love about this episode. 
because I love a throwback and like they very easily could have done the episode without him, but it makes sense to have him be there. I am here to rain on all of y'all's parade. Uh-oh. Yeah. Because it makes no sense that the master is there. Are you ready? Why? Are because in Prophecy Girl, the master says oh, that the oh, codex says <laughs> that the codex says that he could on, I that he could only rise if Buffy came down and he drank her blood. And he never would have been able to rise because Buffy was not in Sunnydale and he did not drink her blood. So it is impossible for the master to have risen. (laughs) However, I can hear you (laughs) clapping. I love it. Yes, give me the counterpoint. Counterpoint me. I love it. I do love it. And it just completely blew my mind. Like, is this an instance where... Is it Buffy or is it just the Slayer? Like, did they kill a different Slayer and then just Buffy rose in Cleveland? Hmm. Well, I mean, I guess in this alternate universe, there may have been an instance where, like, Buffy did die anyway and there was another Slayer. Maybe it was Kendra and maybe Kendra goes to Sunnydale to fight the Master and she dies. Well, you know, also that's a possibility. Also, because Buffy never went to Sunnydale, maybe the prophecy was just completely different, right? Like if we're no, going that far into rewriting, Ian, well, no, we, Ian. We, what was written in the Codex? It was written in the Codex. Huh. Okay, but like, because we know Joss is inconsistent with some things, and like, <laughs> we're, we're, this is. This is just a Buffy plot hole. <laughs> no, it is a plot hole, but I feel like it's a plot hole that no one ever talks about, and I just wanted to be the person <laughs> to talk about it. No, absolutely, because I didn't even think about that. Because, like, in my mind, I'm just like, of course, like, Buffy stopped. She stopped, you know, she stopped the master, but he would never have risen had it not been for Buffy. So, like, you just don't, I never went that extra step. Yeah. Like, I Neither like, did Joss. <laughs> Obviously, you see, okay, this is why if I could go back in time and be born earlier, I would be a consultant on this show. I'd be like, listen, <laughs> don't do this. You're retconning. <laughs> I would want to be a consultant on the show as well. I think all three of us would be, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would actually be like, you need to establish that there was another Slayer... And she rose the master, and then she died. And then Buffy came later when she was called. So, um, a thing that Matthew and I actually discussed, Zoraida, this episode we both remembered as loving so much, and then, like, going back to it now, didn't love it as much. How do you feel about that? (laughs) So, I felt like... Season three is my favorite season. Um, Glad we're all in agreement. (laughs) um, And I think, because, like, like it, in in ranking order, it's my favorite. Um, but I think that this episode, I really liked. It's not my favorite, but I really liked the nostalgic aspect yeah. of watching Buffy and Angel interact together, because she's so she's so hard with him, and it's like not what Buffy in real life is. Um, so I think that like I like parts of it but I don't like it as a narrative completely. Well, you know what's interesting is I also feel like, and and this goes exactly to what you were saying, in that they also kind of just change Buffy as a character completely in a way. Like, they make her so cold and removed and bitter and jaded. But what's funny is that, like, what could have happened to her to make her that way? Because in the way that we know her she went through some really fucking tough shit too and she wasn't like that. I mean, maybe the difference was that she had Xander and Willow and that in this in this iteration of Buffy, she's a loner and mm-hmm. so that changes, but like, you know. But she still went through Los Angeles, you know, like she still, you know, burned up the gym in LA. Um, and so like, if her, if she had been sent to Cleveland instead of Sunnydale, like, I don't know. Like, did she just make no friends? Is it is is friends that is friendship that important? You know, for her as a character development, like, is she nobody without these people? And I guess that's like what we're supposed to learn instead of like the characters, which is 
you know, a huge downfall. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay, so can we talk about the end now, Matthew? Um, they're all in the cells and they're fighting together. Because most of my thoughts are about the end, like my big okay. opinions. What's the what's the what what what's the very end? When like the big fight? Well, not the very very end, but like when the big fight's happening, and like, you know, Angel gets staked and Buffy doesn't give a shit. Like for me, that's like, that's the best part of the episode, I think. Um, yes. And it still like makes me tear up a little bit, even though it's like kind of like. I don't know, it's, like, weird, like, thing that I feel like almost every sci-fi fantasy show does at one point in their narrative when they're, like, a show that's on for more than two seasons is, look, this thing happened where all the characters died, but we're gonna go back in time and it's fine. Um, like, that's a plot, you know, X-Men Days of Future Past, that's a plot I played with my action figures, but I still always love that kind of plot. <laughs> right, because you, you, want, you want that emotional, like, it's visceral, right? Yeah. Like, the moment that... that... Angel gets staked and Buffy walks through his ashes is so good. It's so good. Like that, this episode is good just for that scene. Yeah. Um, there are other parts of the, like the construction of the story. Like who are the players when it's not Scooby gang? Like who is Scooby gang without the Scoobies? And it's like, uh, what's his name? Well, it's Oz and Larry. Yes. Yeah. It's Oz and Larry and Giles. Yeah. But like, how do you know I'm a watcher? Like, that's one of my favorite Giles, like, things. Like, you know, because he, he's still so Giles. Yeah. Um, Buffy's not there. Um, so, I don't know. Um, those are, th- like, the, that construction is really fun. But I think that, like, there's so many things of it that are missing. Also, yes. like, Allison Han- like, Dark Willow is really, Vampire Willow is really fun. Yes. Because she she's kind of childish in a way like she's like a kid yeah uh, but in like a sexy leather outfit <laughs> so i mean not to compare acting because allison hannigan is way better but have any of you ever seen in like the rob zombie horror movies because she almost reminds me of like sherry moon zombies character in like house of a thousand corpses oh no i haven't seen that okay well mm-hmm. well my reference just fell flat but <laughs> um because <laughs> that's like she's like one of the killers and i think I can't remember if the, like, other movie he put out was, like, a sequel to it or a completely different thing, but she's basically the same character, and she's, like, kind of childlike and sexed up, but, like, a killer, and that's kind of, like, what Willow is in this, um, and, yeah, I don't know, like, Vampire Willow clearly works, and that's why it works so well when she comes back. Like, I think Doppelgangland is a better episode, just in general. Um, but it's also a really good sequel to this because Willow is probably the best part of this alternate dimension. Um, and I love, I don't know, so that whole end scene, like, you know, the master and Buffy having a confrontation and Buffy fucking losing, like, gives me a lot of feelings because I don't like the idea of Buffy ever losing. Like, even when she dies in season five, she wins. Like, she does the thing, but she dies. And this, it's like, she completely loses... She gets her neck snapped, which is, like, how Jenny Callender died. Angel died right in front of her. And, like, Oz kills Willow. Like, I don't know. For me, that whole thing packs, like, a pretty good emotional punch. And it's Oz like, killing yes. huge to me, too. And I love her. I love that in Doppelgangland, she goes back to that exact moment. And is just like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for me, like all the, like, big parts of the... Like, Cordelia is the first, like, 30 minutes of the episode, then she dies, and the episode's kind of like, where is this going? But then that end scene is, like... I think that scene is really good. Like, for me, that makes the whole episode, like, ten times better. Because, I mean, I'm a... Like I said, I'm a sucker for that plot line. Like, I've been... I played that with my X-Men. I would, like, pick a different X-Man to play that storyline with when I played with my toys, because I like Days of Future Past so much. Like, I like the idea of, like oh, pick an X-Men, they go back in time and save their friends from dying, but, like, you can pretend they all died, but it's okay because they're all better by the end. Um, (laughs) You know, like, Star Trek, the, like, Mirror Mirror episode, like, I don't know, I'm always a sucker for those kind of things. Especially in, like, nerd. Yeah, but I, so I actually don't like those episodes. (laughs) Um, 
just counterpoint, like, I always feel like they're just, there's no way to do them, or not no way, like, I actually think Days of Future Past is a good way to do it, but I haven't seen a lot of shows that do episodes like that well, so I'm thinking of this episode, and I'm thinking of the horrid season six episode, um, you know. Oh, um, Normal Again. Normal Again, horrid. I hate this episode so much. This is the one where, where she gets stung by that demon and she thinks that she's in a mental facility in L.A. Don't like that one. Right? Yeah, no, I really don't think I know anyone who likes that episode. And it it feels like that to me. And, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ian, because I don't know Angel as well. Isn't there another Angel episode where yes. Cordelia wishes for the world to be different and she becomes a movie star? No, no, it's it shows her... Because she gets, like, powers on Angel, and it's an episode where, like, if you don't accept these powers, you might, like, if you had never gotten them, what would have happened? And, like, it's not, I think it's, like, the way they get around it not being the same thing is that there's no wish. It's just, like, this could happen. You might die if you continue with your powers, and this is what could happen if you get rid of them. But she knows she needs to save the world, so she never gets rid of her powers. But, like, if she had, she would have become a movie star, and she gets to see all of that. And, like, she stars on her own show. Um... And Angel also does it in the final season. Zoraida, did you watch Angel as well? Because Matthew did not. I watched. Um, I I watched a lot of Angel. Okay. Uh, but I I can't put it in order anymore because like some of it is really bad. Yes, some <laughs> of it is really bad. I'm wondering well, how. Well, we'll... Sorry. Like, no, uh, like I remember watching the Connor parts. Yeah. But when uh, when uh, when uh. What's his name? Spike. When Spike got on, I didn't. I didn't watch those later up seasons. Okay, so I think the Spike season, while it it has flaws, but it's my favorite. I just really like Spike on the show. But that season, they do another thing just like this, where there's like a weird spell going on, and they all die like eight times. Um, and like the first, I remember the first time watching it, being like, I know what they're doing, because there's no like wish or whatever. But then it's like, oh, there's a spell, and they just go back, and then they die like. I want to say it's like two or three times the whole gang dies, but Is it's it like, like ground. Yeah, kind of like that. <laughs> I don't. I also don't know Angel as well as I know Buffy, but I just remember that being once Illyria comes in, she like stakes Spike, and I remember watching it in my bedroom, being like, "Wait, what just happened? Did she just stake him? Oh, I know what's going on here. They're gonna like do a thing where they go back, and then they did." <laughs> also, like I, like because they they kept they kept Cordelia, and they also kept Wesley. Mm-hmm. And, like, Wesley being on the show, like, watching him go from being, like, a fucking uh, pansy, you know, British guy to mm-hmm. being this, like, bearded, surly, you know, whatever, you know, hunter. was I thought that, like, finally he got a character change, but he was still one of my least favorite characters. Uh, uh, by the end, he's, like, one of my favorite. Yeah. He does get supremely better, but from where he started, yeah. yeah. Um... I do want to do a, an Angel rewatch because I haven't seen the episodes in order. I, I mean, like, Buffy, I've seen it multiple times. Yeah. Uh, but Angel, not so much. Yeah, like, everyone I've dated has had to watch all of Buffy and most of Angel. <laughs> oh, actually, it's, there is one Angel episode that, sorry, that does the retcon thing. Or, not the retcon, I keep using that word, but I mean it. I mean, um, just this kind of episode well. It's the one where, you know, uh, Buffy and Angel get to be together for that oh, one day. Right. Yeah, there is that one too. Oh that is a really good episode. That, that episode is painful. Yeah, that like, is pain- not but enjoyable. It's painful in the best way. Yeah, yeah. It's like, like this is good, but I don't like, want to watch it. <laughs> it's it's make, right like that's the episode that makes your heart hurt. It's like you know she feeds Angel chocolate for the first like it's just <laughs> <laughs> it's emotional. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I guess she's got sad. <laughs> Sorry. Well, now that we're all well, let's 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 grade this week's episode. Well, actually, no. Sorry. Back up. <laughs> let's back up for a moment before we do that. So, Zoraida, one thing we add, we ask everyone who comes on this podcast is, what do you think Dawn would be doing if she were al- if she were alive? Since she's not yet in the Buffy verse, what do you think Dawn would have been doing in this episode? But Dawn was Dawn was fourteen when she was created, right? So she would be about like twelve right now. Yeah, yeah. She'd be twelve. She wouldn't have been in this episode. Well, we're saying like, what if she? So if she were Buffy's little sister? Oh wait, time, 
point. I know what you mean because they wouldn't have created her because she never would have been in wherever, right? Yeah, oh, like so she would have just been a being a ball of energy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel like, yeah, but also like, I feel like if they had moved to no, because she she would have been young enough to have like a little sister when she moved to Cleveland. Yeah, um, that's true. I feel like if they, were, if they were in Cleveland, they would have died. Like <laughs> Joyce, dad, Joyce, dad, and Don would have been dead, and maybe that's why Buffy has that scar, and maybe that's why Buffy just became so hard, hard-hearted because mm. she lost her entire family. Like, what's the one thing that could make Buffy yeah. so, so like frigid from the Buffy that we know now? Is like she loses everyone. And she has to lose everyone. And for that, it would be, like, mom, dad, and sister. Yeah. 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 She so the answer is Dawn is dead. <laughs> Dawn is dead. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <Grim>. so. <laughs> finally. I mean, now it's my same. You... Now I'm copying the same answer. I, you sold me on it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the answer. <laughs> yeah, no, Dawn is dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the final question is what do you rate this episode on an a to f scale a to f yeah Mm -hmm. and why so um i think i would give it a b plus and just for the scene between buffy and angel like just between like seeing the way that they would have interacted if they had never if they had never had this epic you know, teen vampire romance. Because that's dramatic irony. That's our dramatic irony. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I'll go with... I think I'll go with the same thing. I think B+, plus, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go Uh-oh. with a, a B-. Minus. Okay, okay, that's fair. I think it has a lot of good writing and stuff, but ultimately I don't know. It's almost like much ado about nothing because none of the characters actually progress or really learn that much. So it actually feels like more of a one-off in that sense, except that, you know, obviously Anya gets introduced, but I don't, I don't, I think a lot happens, but ultimately for nothing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think that, Double Gangland is such a good sequel to this episode, but it also is the superior one, and it's also the way better Anya introduction. Like, we get, you know, it opens with Anya being, like, sassy with the Hoffren, um, and for me, that already is already doing more work than she did this entire episode, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was, like, more of a plot device. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so, thanks for listening. All right. And, Matthew? <laughs> thank you for listening and yes if you want to follow ian on twitter (laughs) you can follow him at ian x carlos and if you want to follow matthew on twitter you can follow him at matthew rodriguez one t a g and a z and zoraida yeah i'm at z like in zorro just the phrase z like in zorro yes and if you want to follow our podcast, it's SlayerFestX98 on Twitter. Um, thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.